So glad everyone could be here tonight. Uh, we're welcoming those who join us via Facebook Live as well. Um, tonight, I'm going to be talking about the gospel of Christ according to the scriptures. Uh, so two weekends ago, we had the opportunity to go out to the Medina Bible Conference with Mark and April Gaber and everyone out there. And it's just a wonderful time just to be able to just kind of unplug put a pause, put the phones away, and just kind of fellowship. And um, one of the things that I talked on in the conference was the gospel of Christ and bringing to uh, light that there is a phrase that happens twice in 1 Corinthians 15. And it says, Paul says, For I delivered first unto you that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And the thing that I kind of pointed out was the phrase according to the scriptures, right? It appears twice in the gospel of Christ in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And so um, there's some things that I kind of want to go back. Um, and there's some things that I missed that I want to kind of draw out. Um, so for those of you who are joining us on Facebook, as always, uh, we welcome you. Uh, we encourage you to grab your Bible, grab a pen and paper so that you can jot down these scripture verses so you can go and check them back at a later time, whether those things are so. And our intent every night is to reach those who are lost with the gospel of Christ by any means necessary. Uh, the Bible says, you know, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So you need to hear the word of God. It also says that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So that's what we're going to do here tonight. Uh, just a few things before we kind of jump into tonight's study. Uh, things that I kind of want to address. Uh, just four key things that you need to, to know before we jump in tonight. Number one is that uh, I believe that the scriptures contained in the King James Bible are the perfect, infallible word of God. And that's important. Why is that important? Uh, the key thing that I said was the scriptures contained in the book. Go ahead and to the, turn to the book of Hebrews. Just four things I want to hit on. King James Bible, the scriptures contained in it are the perfect, infallible word of God. Number two, Paul is the apostle for today in this current dispensation of the grace of God. Number three, we believe that in studying God's word, you have to rightly divide it. And number four, we believe in the gospel, the grace of God, which we hope will be laid out very clear, plain, and simple tonight. Um, now, I asked you to turn to the book of Hebrews. Why did I ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews? Well, if you notice at the very top, I'm not talking about the scriptures. Who does it say wrote this epistle in your Bible? If you have a King James Bible, I'm going to ask you. What, who does it say that is addressing as the epistle of who? Some of them have it, some of them don't. Mine does. Mine says to the epistle of Paul, the, the apostle, to the Hebrews. Why is that an issue? Why is that a problem? Well, if you read through the whole entire book of Hebrews, you can see that there are some doctrinal issues here that do not line up with the rest of Paul's epistles. And God put a scripture verse in your Bible in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17. So hold, hold Hebrews, 
Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, Paul writes, writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says, The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. So, God Almighty inspired the Apostle Paul to write this scripture verse that says, Paul with his own hand will write his name in all of his letters so that you know that this was written directly by Paul, okay? Uh, and so, if you read Romans to Philemon, what is the very first word in every single one of those books, those 13 epistles Paul wrote? It says, Paul. Paul, 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 all the way through. Paul, an apostle by the will of God. Paul, an apostle by the commandment of Jesus Christ. Paul, 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 all the way through those books. So when we get to the book of Hebrews, what is the very first word that you see in the book of Hebrews? God. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? God. I know Paul didn't, because if Paul would have wrote it, it would have been in there. Now, I said... I believe that the scriptures contained in the King James Bible are the preserved Word of God, infallible, without flaw. Um, and so that's one of the reasons, I, you know, I believe in the scriptures. Not necessarily like the chapter titles and all that stuff. You go back, there weren't chapters and titles and verses and all that stuff. It's the scriptures that are the issue. Now, there's only one book where if you were to take the very first verse of your Bible and the very last verse of your Bible... You've got words, you got letters, you got vowels and consonants, right? If you look at the very first verse of your Bible and the very last verse of your Bible, guess what? It has the exact number of words, letters, vowels, and consonants. Oh, that's just neat. That was just some, you know, random thing, right? Not so, right? Let's take it a step further. Go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Just kind of giving two quick examples why the King James Bible has the preserved, perfect, flawless Word of God contained in the Scriptures. So I ask you to go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Now, remember I told you, the first verse of your Bible, the last verse of your Bible, has the same exact number of words, vowels, consonants, and letters, Right? If you were to add the sum total of the first verse and the last verse of your Bible, guess what? That amount of words, letters, vowels, and consonants equals 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So it's saying there are three that bear record in heaven. Notice the Father, number one. Number two, Jesus Christ named the Word, right? And then number three, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. All of these other modern translations of the Bible, there's not a single Bible that that's true of, that the first verse, last verse, equal the sum of this verse. It just blows my mind. You can say that's just, you know, some random thought, but I think that numbers are important to God, and it's perfect and flawless, and the numbers equal and it matches. So, um, that's just... One thing. Number two, Paul is our apostle for today in the age that we live in, known as the dispensation of the grace of God. There's only, so in your Bible, there's two groups of people, right? You've got Israel. Oh my gosh. 
Am I spelling it wrong? Hey, yeah. Thank you. Israel, and you've got everybody else, Gentiles, right? Two groups of your people. Jesus, just newsflash, Jesus was not American. I know a lot of people want to say Jesus was American. <laughs> he was a Jew, okay? <laughs> Trust me, there's people out there that believe that. Now, um, there's two groups of people. you got Israel and you got Gentiles. All of the books of your Bible, for the most part, 95% of your Bible is written and addressed to Israel. There's only the other five remaining percent is addressed to everybody else. All right? Paul, it says in Romans eleven thirteen, is an apostle of the Gentiles. He's the only one that the Bible says in Acts 9, the Lord said he's a chosen vessel unto me, the Lord speaking about Paul, to send before the kings, the children of Israel, and the Gentiles. There's only one guy. He wrote 13 books, Romans to Philemon. And the third thing I said is we need to, we believe and I believe, that you need to study God's word, rightly divided. Go to 2 Timothy 2.15. There's a reason why I'm addressing all these things before we get to tonight's message, folks. 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul writes to Timothy. He's nearing the end of his ministry and he's getting ready to hand the, the reins over to him. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study the show thyself, approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Does it say rightly dividing truth from lies? No, it says rightly dividing the word of truth. So what does that mean? It means we divide the Bible... The truth that was written to Israel from the truth that was written to the body of Christ, which are the Gentiles, and it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, anyone that's living today and that has believed the gospel of Christ, you're part of that body of Christ. So we separate those books. Romans through Philemon. Then you got Genesis through Malachi, that's your Old Testament. And you got... Acts, Hebrews, the Revelation. Right? That's what we mean by rightly dividing. We understand what's written and addressed to us. And uh, just to break it down, you've got Paul right here, and you got Peter, the New Testament, right? And you got the gospel of the uncircumcision that was committed to Peter, you got the gospel of the uns this sorry, gospel of circumcision that's committed to Peter, and the gospel of the uncircumcision that was committed to Paul. Um, and last, I told you, you know, I believe in the gospel of the grace of God, which is what was committed to Paul, that he says, I consider my life worth nothing but testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. So, after tonight's study, I hope uh, that through the light of the scriptures, we will just have a clear understanding of what to share and what exactly took place that day when Christ was crucified. So we can have a deeper understanding, number one, and number two, so that we know exactly what we need to do when we're sharing the gospel of Christ with others. Okay? Um, and not only that, we'll see how God commendeth his love for us, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God raised him from the dead after three days. So, if you will, uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Thank you. I left out Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. M M L J. Appreciate that. So, uh, 
This is the gospel of Christ. Now, why am I saying that? If you go back five years from me, I was in a place where I was kind of interviewing and reading all these church doctrines and trying out for all of these different denominations. What blew my mind was when it came to the end of the interview process, I had to agree with their doctrines. Not one single one of those churches that I was interviewing with and their doctrinal statement just laid out plain and simple as what I'm telling you right now, that this is the gospel of Christ and this is what is the power of God and the salvation. And by believing on it, it's what saves you. Okay? It is amazing. God's word blows my mind. And uh, I, I wish I would have known this. I wish someone would have told me this. And so that's why I'm telling you tonight and I'm telling you those who are joining us, this is the most important thing that you'll ever hear and the most important decision of your entire life depends upon whether you believe this truth or not for yourselves, okay? So I'm going to read this gospel of Christ. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, if you were to keep on reading, you will see that there are over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Christ. 500 eyewitnesses saw Christ resurrected from the dead. Uh, Take note, it says Christ died for our sins. Doesn't say Buddha, doesn't say Confucius, doesn't say Vishnu, or Muhammad, or Allah, or Joseph Smith, nor Peter, or Paul. It says Christ died for our sins. Why do I say that? I studied and I minored in religion and philosophy in college. So I studied all of the world religions, Taoism, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, <laughs> Judaism, Christianity, a Muslim, did I name that one? I, I studied all those religions. I had conversations. Um, there was a, uh, I was part of a Christian uh, organization and there was the Muslims that were across the street. And so we'd actually, you know, have break bread with them and have conversations. And there's all these types of conversations happening. I went to Purdue University, so it's a very diverse University, and I would, I'll, I'll never forget the one conversation I had with uh, one of those Muslim men, and we got to the topic of Christ dying for us, and what he was taught within his religious sect within there was Christ never died, he shifted, he made Judas look like Jesus, and Judas was the one that was crucified, so Christ never died. I'm telling you, I don't know where he got that from or where you could get it from. But the thing that blows my mind with all these other religions is everything boils down to if you do this, then you'll be blessed. If you do this, then you get that. You have to perfect yourself, essentially. You have to, in the flesh, live a good life, be a good person, become the best version of yourself, and that's it. That's fundamentally what all the other religions of the world is. That's what I concluded. What blew my mind also is kind of amazing just within the Hinduism religion is that within the past century or so, they have come to realize that they have thousands of gods, is that there is a one God above all the other gods. 
They don't know who it is, but they know that there's this one God. Well, I'm telling you tonight, that God is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who hath immortality. He's the only God that ever died for you and shed his own blood because of how much he loved you. He loved you so much that he was willing to die the most brutal death at Calvary. And uh, we're going to address that. I'll be a little bit ahead of myself. Point being is there's no other God or man that's ever died for you and shed his blood except for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Paul talks about in, the, in the Ephesians, praying, hey, pray for me so that I make known the mystery of the Gospel, right? The mystery is three words right in this verse. I'm going to read it again. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. That is the mystery right there. And it was not revealed until God took his public enemy, number one, Saul, radically changed his life, and by direct revelation by Jesus Christ, gave unto him the gospel of Christ, which we're now reading right now. Prior to that, it was just Israel. It was just about the gospel of the kingdom, right? All it was, you read all the Old Testament, it's saying, hey, I'm going to be sending you a Messiah. He's going to reign as king. And it's going to be the kingdom of heaven that God will set upon this earth that will reign forever. And it's all dealing with the earth, right? And it's just Israel. And if you want to be saved, you had to bless Israel. You had to go through Israel. You had to do works of righteousness. There was no other way that you could be a saved apart from that. And that's why it's called the gospel of the circumcision. Because you essentially had to become circumcised in the flesh to be identified with that group. But Paul was committed the gospel of the uncircumcision, right? These are those who were aliens from the covenants of promise, strangers. Um, let's go there. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, notice in verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is, that, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So, Christ's blood shed on the cross is what has now brought salvation to everybody else in this world. And that was not revealed until the Apostle Paul received that by direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Go back to 1 Corinthians 15, right? Talking about the gospel of Christ. The first thing that I kind of addressed in the, the uh, conference was how that Christ died for our sins, number one, according to the scriptures. Now, um, according to the scriptures, this is something that's, I kind of think you can look over, right? It happens twice. And this was done so that the scripture might be fulfilled. You go, you go read... 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 43 times you'll see this was done so that the scripture might be fulfilled by this prophet in the Old Testament, right? 43 times. Uh, just wanted to share a couple things um, as well. So just scripture references in your New Testament, going back to the Old Testament, right? You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are 285 Old Testament scriptures referenced in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let me grab a new pad because this one's going out on me. And that one just straight up broke on me. Training pens. 285 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are scripture references to the Old Testament. In Paul's epistles, we have his pre-prison and then we have his prison epistles, right? Yeah. That's something we've always addressed. Yeah. In his pre-prison epistles, he has 148 Old Testament scriptures that he quotes. According to the scriptures, this is what we're talking about. In his prison epistles, 25 times he quotes from the Old Testament. And then through Hebrews through Revelation, Hebrews through Revelation, we have 387 scripture references. Why do I bring that up? Why is that important? Well, we talk about Paul a lot, right? He said, Now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began? Well, pre-prison, what do we know about Paul? He was going into the synagogue of the Jews, right? And he was testifying that Jesus was the Christ. How? By the Old Testament scriptures, right? He was testifying constantly to the Jews, hey, this guy that I was persecuting and all of his followers, I was wrong. He is the Christ. Then when we get to the prison epistles, Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ in the book of Ephesians, right? There's only two books that Paul wrote that were straight up to the heathen, and that's Ephesians and Colossians. Both of them were uncircumcised in the flesh. You can read about it. Just look uncircumcised or uncircumcision in Ephesians and Colossians. That's who Paul's addressing in these letters. He never heard, he never, he never saw them in the flesh. He only heard of their faith. And guess what? I'm telling you, right now, all of us sitting here, we are those churches. We are those churches. We never saw Paul in the flesh. We only, he, he never, he's, he's dead in Christ. He's asleep up there, waiting for the Lord to come back, where we will all be caught up to meet with those who are going to rise up in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. But the point I'm just trying to make is that you want to learn about the unsearchable riches of Christ. The only person you're going to find it from is from the Apostle Paul. That's why Paul told Timothy, uh, listen to what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So Paul is telling Timothy, look, read all my books, Romans to Philemon. You will un it'll, I'll make the rest of the Bible fall into place and make sense. Okay? Because where a lot of people today in Christianity get screwed up is they aren't rightly dividing the word of truth. They aren't separating Paul's epistles from the rest of the books, which is why they start pre preaching Peter's gospel for people, and people think they're getting saved by that. Well, you need to know that Peter's gospel was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They had to do works. They had to be a work. You had to do something, then you get something. You had to be water baptized. That's a work. You did that, you repented, then you received the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not how God's working today with those who are in the body of Christ. Paul said in 
And Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by works. It's grace. It's a gift. You can't do anything to earn it. All you can do is simply receive it. So, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Um, these I'm just going to kind of... I don't have the time for us to flip through them, but I want to read how Christ died for our sins according to these Old Testament scriptures. These are the verses that I, th I believe that Paul was, when he was going into Acts 13 through Acts 20, he was going into the synagogue of the Jews and testifying that Jesus was Christ. I believe these are the scripture verses that Paul was using to testify to these Jews that this is the Messiah. This is how he died. And it wasn't just some... Um, random event, this happened because it was written, okay? According to the scriptures. Christ died according to the scriptures. 400 years before Christ walked in the earth, in Zechariah 13, it said, Smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. On the night when Judas betrayed Jesus with 30 pieces of silver, Judas told the chief priests, Hey, look, I'm going to go up, I'm going to kiss the man. That's the sign for you that this is that man Jesus, Okay? Jesus goes up, kisses him. There's this big, kind of the, all the soldiers come in. There's a commotion. Long story short, Jesus says, look, these scriptures need to be fulfilled. So then all of the disciples forsook him. All right. They brought him before the Sanhedrin and they began to punch him. They would beat him in the face. They were asking him to say all these, brought all these false accusations against him. And they kept mocking him. They were spitting in his face. I mean, this is not a pretty picture, right? And at the moment that they asked him, Before the living God, are you the Christ? And he said, As thou hast said, I am. So then they go crazy. Now they start putting a cloth over his face. And then they're mocking him by beating him in the face. They smote him in the face saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? I mean, it was... What, what the Bible says, Christ despised the shame of the cross. This is despicable. He's completely innocent, has done nothing worthy of death, and is uh, not guilty. But yet Christ was going for the cross because this is the will of Him, will of God for His life for us, right? God delivered up His Son for us. For love's sake. Sin is the problem. All have been born into it, Right? In Isaiah 50, and in Isaiah 53, it talks about uh, Christ writes in those scriptures, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks they did pluck out of my hair. Okay? And it talks about he was wounded for our iniquity and bruised for our transgressions. Now, in Psalms, there's also a verse in Psalm 129 where Christ said, um, well, let's, let's go to Psalm 129. We'll read that one. Psalm 129, verse 3. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. All right, furrows is like trenches that you dig, right? In farming, they're these big, deep trenches. So, we're talking about being wounded, bruised, plowed upon, furrows. So, 
You, don't, you can't read about this stuff in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All it says is that they, the Sanhedrin brought him to Pilate, and basically Pilate delivered him to the soldiers to be scourged. That's what it says. Well, what we know from these Old Testament scriptures is that you can't find the cat of nine tails in your Bible, but you can look in the history books, you can look up what it was. Is this device that was made purely for mutilating flesh. And so they just whipped Jesus and it would just rip out these long furrows down his back. It was so bad, the Bible in Psalms 22 says you could see his bones. You know, I, I get frustrated with a lot of the things that I see regarding the, the crucifixion of Christ. I was raised in the Catholic Church. It always was this man that had just one pierce here, a little blood dripping a little blood from the brow, and like a little blood here. Guys, it was not that at all. I saw one today. I, I just was like, that is not at all what happened. You, they beat him to the point where you could not even look at him and he didn't even look like a man. Now, I'm not trying to do this to shame you. I'm doing this so you can realize that what Christ did for us, why would you think that you need to do something other than what he just did for you as a free gift? Why are you trying to earn your salvation? Why are you trying to become righteous in your own eyes? There is none good, no, not one. That's what the scripture said. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's only one that has that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And they laid down his life and was raised for your justification from the dead. That's what the Bible says. In the book of Psalms, you read through all of it, right? You can read about where it says, where they part my garments, they part in my vestures. Well, that's exactly what the Roman soldiers did. They, after they beat him, they stripped him naked. Okay, they stripped him naked. Can you imagine the shame? Put a purple robe on him. They took this horrible crown of thorns. They mocked him, hailing him as king of the Jews. They took a reed and they would beat that crown of thorns on his head. They picked him up, gave him a cross and made him walk to Calvary. So he had to carry it. There was a man that had to help him because he was so beatly mutilated. And then when he finally got there, they stripped him naked again. They took his clothes, divided it. And then from there, that's when they nailed his hands to a cross and nailed his feet to the cross. They crucified him. Gave him a sinner's death. He was numbered with the transgressors. Two male factors, two thieves hung on that cross with them. It says they crucified him on the third hour. And in the ninth hour, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, if you're a Jew during those times, I've heard this been said. I don't know if it's true or not. But there is a thing that I heard amongst Jews that if you quoted the first verse of a psalm, that was an indication from the rabbi to those that were following that you need to go back and read that psalm. So when Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was a sign for the Jews you go and read Psalm 22, it's all about the crucifixion of Christ. It's all about what he had to go through according to the scriptures and how he would die according to those scriptures. And that's exactly what happened in those events that day. He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When Jesus saw that all the things concerning the Son of Man had been fulfilled in the scriptures, he was thirsty and he cried out for a drink and they gave him vinegar. I don't know if you've had vinegar, drinking it. It's not very pleasant. Um, if you think about, I mean, all of these events, this was not like, 
I mean, he hung on the cross for six hours. Think about all the hours from the morning being beat, mocked on, spit upon, beat, brutally mutilated in his flesh. He was dehydrated beyond all, all belief. Can you imagine? And as he drank, he said it was finished. And then he gave up the ghost. Now there's a scripture in the book of Psalms 34 where it says not one bone of it, not one of his bones are broken. Okay. Um, now when they, well, let me just pause. First off, the living God, Jesus Christ, who knew no death, came to earth, dwelt among us, and then he died. Can you imagine what it was like for Christ? He's never died before, if you think about it. I mean, I've thought about it. Have you thought about your death? I mean, it's just kind of crazy to think about. God had, Jesus Christ had faith in God the Father. He knew he was going through all this stuff. He knew he was going to fulfill those scriptures. And he had faith in God the Father that he was not going to leave them in hell. Right? That he would not let his Holy One see corruption. That's what the book of Psalms 16 says. So, Christ is hanging up on there. He's dead now. There's a scripture in Psalms 34 that says not one of his bones is broken. So, as custom as it was for these types of crucifixions, the soldiers would break the legs of the thieves and the malefactors to quicken up the death. Well, Christ was so mutilated and beat beyond recognition that he died and they didn't have to break his legs, thus fulfilling the prophecy of the book of Psalms. Not one of his legs was broken. Now, I've never broken a bone. Uh, I once had a horrible, horrible, deep contusion bruise. It was so bad, it, the doctor said it would have been better for me to break my legs, right? Break my leg than to have it happen. So when I think about that little contusion, I can't imagine what the body of Christ, what he felt going through all of that. Everything, the horror that we just talked about. Now... The last thing that was prophesied how he would die was that they would pierce his side. And that's exactly what the soldier did. They pierced him, pierced his side, said they would look upon the one whom they have pierced, and blood and water fell out from his sides. Now, why are all these things? I'm not speaking this to your shame. I'm trying to make a point. Christ died for our sins, people. When did Christ die? Here's the cross. Here's your life. Here's your death. When did Christ die for his sins? Over 2,000 years ago, right? So the moment you believe in it, you're justified. Justice, scales, right? You're justified. God justifies you in his sight. He no longer sees you as a sinner, dead in trespasses as a sins. He sees you as a son. That's amazing, and I can't really grasp my mind around it. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We're going a little bit over tonight. We usually keep around 30 minutes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you remember two weeks ago, this was something I talked about, right? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he, that is God, had made hath made him, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what does that mean? 
Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither there are fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul is listing out all of these sinners, right? And notice what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. So he's talking to the church of Corinth, right? Some of these churches, the people here at Corinth, they were all these things. It says, For God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What does that mean? It means that on the cross at Calvary, if you were an adulterer, Christ became an adulterer for you on the cross at Calvary, forgiven you of all those sins. If you were uh, a fornicator, guess what? Christ became a fornicator on the cross at Calvary. And the list goes on. You just read all those things that we just read. Christ became those things for you. And He's forgiven you. Paid in full. You know, if I were to offer a $100 bill to you right now, I guarantee a lot of people would want to take it. I'm saying, hey, this is a free gift. Well, I'm telling you, in light of your soul and heaven and hell being a reality, and you spending a lot, your rest of your eternity there in one of those two places, you have a choice to receive this free gift that Christ did for you on the cross, which is why He died for you. And that's what the Bible says God showed His love for you. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, that's the greatest love you will ever experience or know in this world and have full assurance. Because the Bible says that we were not children unto wrath, all right? The wrath of God is coming because of these things that we read. But I'm telling you, you put your trust, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for what He did for you, you don't have anything to worry about. It's amazing. Therefore, we have peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know I realize some people struggle with this, right? Um, but I want to address the second part, portion of the gospel of Christ, which is, and that he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures, right? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 25. Acts 2, verse 25. This is Peter, right? Peter is addressing, this is Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. Jer uh, Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation of heaven are here present. And he is singling out the circumcision, okay? And he's addressing uh, scripture about Christ in hell, okay? Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 25, we're going to go verses 25 through 32. For David, the king, speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption." 
Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, that is David, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof all are witnesses. So, Peter is addressing the book of Psalms. You go back in Psalm 16, you can read these scripture verses. How Christ raised again the third day according to the scriptures. This is what we're talking about. You go to Psalm 16, David was speaking about the resurrection of Christ. But these things were hid from them. They didn't understand it, right? They were confused. They thought the, the resurrection, I mean, they thought the Christ dying was bad news to Peter. But for us, it's great news. If Christ never went to the cross, you and I would have no hope. We wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be a part of the body of Christ, and there'd be no reason for us to even meet. So hell, Christ went into hell, okay? On our behalf. That's what the scriptures say right there. That's what we just read. But there's also a verse that says that Christ would be risen. And so... Turn to Acts 13, verse 29. Now this is Paul. Paul is in the synagogue of the Jews, um, as his, his custom was. And he's beginning his ministry right here. This is where he kind of takes over. And it's pretty much Paul through the rest of the book of Acts. And notice in verse 29. Oh, let's back up. Let's start in verse 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem, and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have filled them in condemning him. Speaking about Christ. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired that Pilate he should be slain, and when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, so we're talking about all these scriptures, right? How Christ died for our sins. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. I love this next verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them, which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people, that is Israel. And we declare unto you glad tidings, held that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So Paul, right in that verse, is quoting Psalm 2, verse 7. Thou art my son this day. I have begotten, have I begotten. He's speaking about the resurrection of Christ. Begotten means to bring forth. God brought forth Jesus from the dead. That was a scripture of how that Christ was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. 
this was not a mistake. We read uh, a few weeks ago, remember we did the Hall of Fame, right? The Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11. Jesus' faith isn't mentioned there. It's mentioned in Hebrews 12, right? Looking unto the author and finisher, finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. He fulfilled. He was faithful. He had faith in God the Father. He had no idea what he was going to do when he was experiencing that death, but he knew, I believe, he knew God would raise him from the dead that third day. He wouldn't leave his soul in hell. So the gospel, the grace of God, what is it? Turn to Ephesians 2. While you're turning to Ephesians 2, I want you to grab Acts 20 in the other hand. Acts 20, we're going to read first. Acts 20, 24. This is the Paul, this is Paul speaking. He's at the very end of uh, traveling in his ministry where he was going all over the place. And he's getting ready to go into prison and into afflictions for the gospel's sake. Um, and this is what he writes right before he's getting ready to go into to prison, to do his prison epistles, I believe. Acts twenty twenty four. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now turn to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. What is the gospel of grace of God? Ephesians 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So whose faith are we saved by? Notice how it says, saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Well, it's Jesus Christ's faith. It's Christ's faith that we are saved by. His willingness to submit to the will of God for his life, humbling himself, and becoming obedient to death, yea, even death of the cross. That was Christ's faith. And I'm going to reread Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, just for teaching purposes, okay? I'm going to insert the faith of Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through the faith of Jesus Christ, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works. Right? You can't do anything to earn your salvation, not by being baptized, not by becoming a disciple of Christ, not by dedicating your life to Christ, not by confessing all your sins, God already knows all your sins. He paid for them at Calvary. Um, side note, not by because your mom and your dad was a Christian or all of these other things that people say that they are saved by. Those folks are another Gospels. It's by Christ's faith and trusting in what he did for you on the cross at Calvary. Dying for your sins, future, past, present, and believing that God raised him from the dead. That's what saves you. The point I'm trying to make today is that faith, the point I'm trying to make about salvation today is you got to put your faith in the faith of Christ. Okay? That's what I'm trying to say. You got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what Paul told the Philippian jailer. 
you put your faith in the faith of Christ. Okay? There's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. The only options you have is to either receive it or reject it. So, we talked about a lot today. We talked about why the King James Bible and the Scriptures contain in it. That's adorable. My daughter is talking. Uh, we talked about the King James Bible and the Scriptures containing it are the perfect, infallible Word of God. Paul is our apostle today in this current dispensation of the grace of God. We study God's Word rightly dividing Paul's epistles from the rest of it. And that the gospel of the grace of God is simply putting your faith in what Christ did for you on the cross at Calvary. It's a simple gift. It is the easiest thing that you could do. It's yours for the taking. We thank you so much for joining us. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to message us. Thank you so much.